up. So uh, we've, if you've, if you've not been here uh, with us for a while, this is our third week in this Philippian series. And uh, let me just, I'm going to try to be real with you. It's kind of, it's going to be hard as we go through this series for me always to review everywhere we've been. It's not really possible, obviously. And so if you miss a few, if you miss a lot, you can go to our website. You can watch online. You can you can go to iTunes and download. But be prepared when you come in here that what we're talking about today has really been built upon previous weeks, if you know what I mean. Because this letter really builds on itself like most of what Paul writes. It's kind of a progressive thing. It begins to build and build and build. And this series is like kind of like part three in this big series that we've been doing, working through the book of Acts. If you remember with us, we, we started in the book of Acts, Acts 1, moved up to Acts 9, and then we started our messenger series, which was best, basically Acts also, moving through verse uh, chapter 16, where Paul plants the church in Philippi, and then we said, okay, we're going to stop that series and start a Philippian series. So, that's kind of where we've been so far. Um, today, what you're going to see is you're going to see kind of like a, a change in the way that he's writing. Now, he's been kind of writing some welcoming thoughts and things that have been going on with him, and now he's going to get right to the point and start instructing the church at Philippi. He's going to give them some instructions on how to live um, and, and what to do and things like that. So, um, just catch up if you need to, um, because I can do a little bit of review, of course, in these first few, but as we get further and further, it's going to be much more impossible for me to do that. Uh, but we're going to remember, Paul, and this is important for us to remember, uh, Paul is writing to believers in Christ. He's writing to what he said were the saints in Philippi. This is absolutely important to remember as we think about what he's going to tell us to do today. He was writing to believers. He was not writing to those that didn't already know Christ Jesus. He was writing to believers in Jesus. And so this is, I want you to remember that. Remember, he's writing later. He's writing 10, this is 10 years later. He had already been there. He'd gone away. He's writing from prison. He's writing them. He's told them about how it's gone, how the 10 years that he's been gone have passed. He's been through all kinds of crazy crap. It's just crazy. It's just like intense. And he's writing to them. He's saying, I, I long to be with you. I wish I were with you. I want to come and see you. This is all the stuff that's happened to me. It's, and it's a big mound of stuff for Paul that he's experienced. And he says, but listen, all of that is, is, don't even worry about that. It's all about the gospel. And that's what we kind of talked about last week. Our key verse that we looked at last week was verse 21, which uh, we said was kind of like a coffee cup verse. A lot of people know this verse for me. To, do you remember what it was? For me to live as Christ and what? Die is gain. That's that's a crazy, trippy thing to say. But he was all about the gospel. He was all about whatever it was going to take. Whatever, Like he said, yeah, I've been to prison, I've been shipwrecked, I've been all these things. Listen, but for me, it's all okay as long as the gospel's been fulfilled. And he said, I'm in jail, but people are coming to the gospel, and so it's okay. It's okay. God's got this. He's got it handled. And so that was our very first verse, and we basically stood there for a while. Um, and, and you'll see uh, our first verse again uh, really pops out. And we probably spend most of our time on this verse. So we're going to pick this up in verse 27 of chapter 1 in, in Philippians. And I want for us, though, and here's something important. I talked to Raul. Raul, will you come up here with me really quick? 
Um, so I want you to look on the Spanish side, okay? And this verse in Spanish says, and of course, the, the I think your microphone just died. So they, they did. Who'd they beat? Who'd they beat? I didn't watch. Oh, they, they beat Germany? Yes. All right, cool. No, here we go. Let's see if it, uh, it's not working anymore, but test, test, test. That's not working. Anyway, um, so in Spanish, right, this phrase is, this phrase and this concept in Spanish is w- a lot more deeper. And as I read this this week, I'm like, it's crazy. The verse is different in Spanish than it is in English. In English, it starts out with what word? Only. In Spanish, though, it says, what, what does it say there? Pase que lo pase. Pase lo que pase. Now tell us a little, like, what does that mean? What does that mean, like, literally, I guess? What does it mean figuratively or whatever? Well, for instance, if I use it with my children, yeah. they say, Emi and Tati, pase lo que pase, sigue siendo mi hijo y sigue siendo mi hija. Regardless of what happens, you're still my son and you're still my daughter. In terms, it means, regardless whether you make good choices or bad choices, I will still back you up. You're still my son. You're still my daughter. Okay, so pase lo que pase means what happens will happen, right? I mean, is that what literally it means? Yeah, like, like whatever happens, happens, right? Is that maybe in, in English a good way to translate that? Whatever may happen, happens, right? Deeper it's a deeper meaning in yeah. Spanish, right? So it's like, uh, it, does, listen, it doesn't matter. It's okay, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be there for you, right? It's like a, it's uh, encouraging, right? It's not like, well, whatever happens, happens. Oh, don't forget about it. Like, it's more a positive, used in a positive I mean, way, right? Like playing in a team or, not that I was in a gang, right? But, okay, yeah. But you also yeah, use yeah. it again. Like, I got your back. I got your matter. back. Okay. Let's go for it. Sweet. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. So, and here's the deal. In Spanish, the the term is there, and in English it just says only. But now we've got to think about this idea. Why would that be there? Remember, Paul was just saying about all of the... He's writing from where? He's writing from jail. He says, I've experienced all of this tribulation. I've experienced all of that. And he's going to say, it's coming for you, by the way. He's going to tell the Philippians, it's coming your way. Get ready. In Spanish, what he's saying is, like, listen, whatever happens, regardless of all of that stuff, remember this. And he jumps into verse 27. Now, I, I've got a question for you before we jump in. Do any of you in your families have a whatever happens, don't forget? Do you have one of those? Whatever happens, don't forget to, and then you fill in the blank, like, don't ever eat in my car. Do you know what I mean? Do you guys ever, do you guys have any of those in your family? Whatever happens, then blank. Do any of you? Some of you do. Some of you don't. This is okay. You do. It's like whatever happens, we kiss goodnight or something. You know what I mean? Like there's always those things that no matter what, remember this. Okay. And each of your families have those. Some of you are like don't fart in public. That whatever happens, do not do that. You know, like you have some funny ones. You have some serious ones. This is like a, a serious one of those. Okay. And Paul's saying, listen. Verse, tw- verse 1 through 26, taking all that in consideration, remember this. And then he says this, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear 
of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. And this, this we're going to stop today. We're going to look at those few verses because I can tell you this much. We could do a whole series on verse 27. I mean, literally do a whole series on this verse. And so that's what we're going to look at is, is right now is verse 27. And I don't do this. I know there's some new people here. I don't do this all the time. I rarely do this. But I want for us to look at that word conduct. And we're going to look at it in the Greek. And it says this, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, this word conduct in the Greek is this, and it's really hard to say, so we put it there, you know, like phonetically, polituamhi, okay? Say that ten times fast. So, okay? Polituamhi, okay? Polituamhi, or something of that nature, okay? Now, this word is important. I know I don't do this all the time, and I rarely do this at all. In fact, we're going to look at two words. Because we don't speak Greek, and but it's really important here. And I spent like a lot of time this week looking at this word. If you were to define or give us an explanation of what it means to conduct yourself, what would you say? Behave a certain way. What else? To, yes. Act a certain way. Act acceptable in public. So, to behave, to act... What else? Anyone else? To demonstrate. Okay, yeah. So, those are all great words, but that's not what this word meant. Okay? Paul said this, this concept, he told this concept to several churches, but in this letter to the church at Philippi, he used this word, polituome, which was, you see there, fair to find it there, to be a citizen or to behave as a citizen. Now, this is important because, remember, he's writing to who? The people at Philippi. People at Philippi were Roman what? Citizens. If you remember in verse um, 20, well, let, let's look at Ephesians 4.1. And here's what I want to do. If you're, you probably don't remember this, uh, but in Ephesians 4.1, Paul wrote this to them. Hopefully this will click. It's not clicking. Uh-oh. We got batteries dying everywhere. Uh oh. Anyway, can you go up and change the side? So in, in Ephesians four one, Paul writes this to the people. He writes this. He says, "Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to." Does anyone remember what he writes? Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So very similar sentence. He says, "Walk in a man." And here's our slide from that series years ago. Therefore, I, I, prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So there he used the word to walk, which meant to live, to behave, to live in a certain way. But he used the term walk, which was peripateo. Do you guys remember us talking about that? We said it kind of sounds like pair of potatoes. Right? He said to walk in a manner worthy. Well, here, 
He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. And he changes the word and it's because he's talking to people that are Roman citizens. If you remember, Philippi was a Roman colony filled with Roman citizens. The jailer would have been a Roman jailer. Um, you remember the citizens of the town? This was in our Acts series. You remember they get all upset because Paul and Silas are there and they're causing a, causing a big ruckus. And they're like, these guys are doing this. Look, you see the verse there in Acts 16. We just finished this series. These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being what? Romans. You remember, they, they threw them in jail because these guys are like causing a stink. They're like, we're all about the Roman way of life here. And for a Roman citizen, hear me, for a Roman citizen, that meant that even though Philippi was not Rome, it was a colony, it was, an, it was its own city, but they behaved and acted and dressed and spoke and were loyal to Rome. So that meant they were trying to create a little Rome here in Philippi. So all of the people, all of the Roman citizens... They did not take on the local culture. They took on the Roman culture. They dressed like the Romans dressed. They spoke like the Romans spoke. They did the things that they did in Rome. They were just doing it a few thousand miles away. And so this was really important for Paul. He saw a little window of opportunity here to really get to the point that he was trying to make with these people. The worst thing a Roman citizen could do was make the Roman name like a bad name, like mar the name of Rome. It's like the worst thing they could do. And Paul, knowing that, he writes this to them. We kind of understand why he uses the word polythiome, because there was a deeper kind of civic responsibility. There was a, in this word, conduct yourselves polythiome, it was like your actions have a bigger impact than just on you. It was like a, this is where we get the word politics from. And I know it's hard now to say that our politicians are all about the people because it seems like many of them are all about themselves. But this is where we get this word from. That, that living your life in a way that you serve the people, you serve the greater good, you serve the bigger thing there. This was the concept that Paul was getting at when he said, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So live like all of your life ought to be put into living out the gospel. Not just your Sunday at 10 a.m. life. But conduct yourselves. And it was more than just living away. It was everything you are, all of you, put into living out the gospel. And then he says this, which is really kind of interesting. He says, live your life Conduct yourselves, be all about living in a way that is worthy. And he uses this word here, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is another one. I'm just going to share this word. It's the last Greek word we're going to do for a long time probably. Axios. Yeah, that one's much easier to say, right? Axios. It's the word worthy. So what he's saying, he's saying, listen, lit, conduct yourselves, behave Take on the complete lifestyle of a life that is worthy of the gospel. And this idea of worthy, it was to 
It meant to balance out the scales of the gospel in your life. And so, can I use your handbag for a second? I'm not going to open it up. Just, just give me the handle. Okay. Is it sketchy? Whoa, it's heavy. Listen, the gospel's heavy. That's good, man. Right? That will preach. Right? So the gospel is heavy. This is a scale. If you can't see it, it's called a culling beam. We use it in fishing. Okay, you put two fish on it, and what's going to happen right now? If I let this go, what's going to happen? Whoa, right, it's going to go way down. So what's, what Paul's getting at here, by using this word here, worthy, axios, he's saying live your life in a way that as you live it out, you're going to begin to try to balance out the gospel. Now, the gospel's heavy. Come on, right? Um, he's saying, like, take everything that you do, right? Man, you got a heavy bag. There's no way we're going to balance this out. And it's impossible. Let's just say it right now, right? It's impossible to balance out the gospel. Am I right? Like, it is a heavy thing. It is a thing that should take most weight in your life. But let's, you know, let's find like some other stuff. Cheyenne today made me a Father's Day keychain. We're going to put it on here. Like, take um, your work life and make it try to balance out the gospel. And then add your home life, right? And then add, you know, I don't know what else. What it, like, take everything that you are, right? And as you put more and more Stuff on this side. I'm going to poke myself. That's so cool. Like, the concept is live your life in a way. Conduct yourselves, your whole life, in a way that it begins to balance out the gospel. And what that's, what he's getting at there, thank you so much. Thank you for the heavy gospel you have there. Jeez, that was like perfect sermon illustration. You can deal with that. I don't know. I'm going to have to deal with it. What he's saying there, you know, it's funny, but it's also really serious, right? He's saying, take, it's going to take all of your time. It's going to take all of your focus. It's going to take all of the energy that you have. If If you're going to balance out the gospel, it's going to take all of your tears. It's going to take all of your joy. And it's going to take your vacation. And it's going to take your money. And it's going to take uh, your occupation. And it's going to take relationships. And it's going to take the entirety of your life. Put the entirety of your life into gospel living. That's what he's getting at here. And remember, pase lo que pase, whatever happens in your life, the most important thing is to live in a way that you try to balance out the gospel. Take all of it and use it for the kingdom is what he's getting at there. And he's writing to these people. And I mean, this is, this is heavy, folks. He's, he's like getting serious with them. And like the gospel is new life, right? He's writing to believers who have been saved from the clutches of hell. And he says to them, take that thing that you've been given, that new life in Christ, and begin living in a way that begins to balance that out. 
And it's kind of, it's a crazy concept. It's a crazy, crazy concept. We've been given much with the gospel. Look at Luke 12:48. Says this when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone's been entrusted with much, even more will be required. We've been, uh, the gospel's heavy. We need to live our lives in a way that shows God that we don't take that gift for granted. That we're going to do what we can our whole entire life. We're going to live the gospel out. Being the hands and feet of Jesus. Being ministers of peace. Being peacemakers. All those things that we're called to do. He says, take that job seriously. Now, I'm looking at the time. That's only like the first half of the first verse. So we are probably never going to get done with this series. Uh, but here, let's look at the second half of that verse because Paul instructs, he begins to give instruction on church unity. And this, this is really cool. So verse 27, again, toward the bottom, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are, what's the first one? Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Those are four things. Standing firm. That's more individually. You need to stand firm. Stand firm in the gospel. And then what? In one spirit. This is now, he's, he's kind of, we need to individually stand firm, but we need to collectively stand firm with one spirit. Over all of us here in this place, in one mind, being on the same page, striving together as a church, as a people, as a kingdom for the gospel. Jesus prayed the same thing for his followers. John 17, verse 23 says, and he's praying, Jesus is praying, may they be brought to complete, what's the word? Unity. So let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Church unity tells the world about Jesus' love. That's what Jesus is saying. Church unity shows the world how much God loves us and and them. It's a crazy concept, but it's true. They see the united front of people in the church loving their community, loving each other, and they say, that's a picture of God. We saw this in the church at Acts. We already saw this in our series. Look at those other... Verses there, Acts 2, 4, all the believers were together and had everything in common. That's united together. 4.32, all the believers were in one heart and mind. Listen, unity, church unity is not optional. It is the lifeblood of the kingdom of God. It's not optional for us. It's something that we need to strive for. And Paul says... That there are trying, there are going to be some trying times ahead for the church in Philippi. He's about to say that. We're going to look at that. And the church, hear me, the church can survive and prayerfully thrive when it experiences trials together. The church, hear me, the church can, can, can thrive when there's trials that come our way. I begin to think about some of the things. Look at what Paul says, I, I did this little acronym that we're going to just have to burn through because we don't have time to do it. So it's just like, think about this church unity. It is 
is something bigger than ourselves, isn't it? It's something that as we come together and we think about, well, what is church unity? You all get together and you play cornhole. It's bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. It's people who are together in an understanding, look at that first, understanding way with each other. Not just understanding the Bible or understanding what it's like, understanding each other. This is a concept that for some is, is tough. Like you've got your own way of looking at things and you don't care about anyone else. That's not church unity. Church unity, people need to be understanding. They need to be neighboring. And yes, I added ing to all these because these are like verbs, right? That you're a neighbor of someone, of course. But if you're neighboring someone, that means that you're what? You're loving on them. You're helping them. If we want to build church unity here at Ecclesia, we need to be helping each other, loving on each other, being a good neighbor to the person sitting next to you, to the person here or whatever. And what's that mean? It means caring for them, watching out for them. It's also interceding. Does anyone know what that word means? To what? Praying. It means interceding between them and God, praying for them. We want church unity to really take heart here. We need to be praying for each other. We've got a prayer chain. We've added, we've added you to it. You can pray for those around you. And then transforming. This idea of church unity, there's got to be something that, that's like bigger than just coming together and hanging out. It's, it's got to be a community that's like full of transformation where you see people becoming more and more like Jesus. Because if we're just hanging out just to hang out, we're just a social club, not a church. right? And social clubs... They don't necessarily transform anything. They're just a way to get together and drink beer or whatever you do at your social club, right? So, like, that's not what a church is about. A church is about transforming men and women into the image of Christ. And then that last one you see there is yielding. And what I mean by that is you giving up your rights, right? Your preference, your place in line, whatever you want to call it. It's you giving up something so someone else can get ahead. And think about that. If we're all giving up our own rights so each other can get ahead, this place... I mean, you were talking about church unity. That would be a crazy thing. And Paul is getting at this to the Philippians because he's about to say, because trying times are coming your way. They're coming. And if you fight them individually, you'll never win. But together, you can strive and thrive in church unity in the gospel. And so, I was thinking about that 